0: I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today, for this morning, for the truths that we get to join in together as the family of God and and sing to you, Lord, and to sing to one another and and as as reminders that this is what we cling to, this is what we believe, that Jesus is better. And Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we are so grateful that you have given this to us. But Lord, we also confess to you this morning as, as we come to your word that we often like to stand in authority over it thinking that we will be the ones to determine what is right and wrong. And Lord, we just want to lay that down this morning and say that you are the one with authority over us. We come today to submit to your word. And so Holy Spirit, would you be our helper today? Would you lift up Christ Jesus before us that we may see him and give him glory? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you asked me uh, one year ago today, hey, Nick, do you like running? I would have said, absolutely not. It's one of the most despised things in all of my life. I hate running. That's what I would have told you a year ago. Uh, if you were to ask me today, hey, Nick, do you like running? I would tell you, I absolutely love it. It's one of my most favorite things to do. So the question is, how did that? How, what changed between a year ago and today? And I'll tell you why I love running now as opposed to a year ago. The entire reason is this, friends. I made friends who like to run, and I started hanging out with these friends, and now I like to run because I run with these friends. Just a a couple days ago, I was uh, running with a friend of mine uh, over by Hartwell Park. We were just going to go run, and we were going to go run three miles and see how fast we could do it. And I liked it so much, I invited another friend, hey, you should come along with us. And one of the great things about running with friends is it's just better. Like, it's just not boring and it's not lonely and it's fun. And one of these friends that I got to run with is faster and better than me. And so he gets to pace me. And so I don't really have to think. I just keep up with my friend. And guess what? I run better and faster than when I do when I'm alone. Because the truth is, almost everything that we do, we do better with someone else. Almost everything that we do, we do better when we're with somebody else. There is a power to presence. We know this instinctively the moment that we're born into the world. The moment that we're we're born, we're looking for the comfort of someone else's presence. A crying newborn is soothed to sleep simply by the presence of a caring mother. And we live our lives and we learn more and more that the simple presence of a trusted person has tremendous power in our lives. It's why when you see scary movies by yourself, they're really scary, but when you see them with friends, they're a little bit less scary. You notice that? It's why hard things are a little bit less hard to do when we have a trusted friend by our side. It's why in times of grief and sorrow, we don't so much want things or even words, we just want to not be alone. We want the presence of someone we love. There's a reason Why solitary confinement is one of humanity's most cruel punishments, to be alone. And the more that we know and we love someone, the more powerful their presence is. They don't have to speak or act. Just their presence seems to bring a kind of comfort, a joy, a security, and a peace to us. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Do you long for somebody like that in your life? As we come to John chapter 14, we see Jesus is speaking to his best friends, his followers, his disciples, and they are troubled. They are troubled by the things that Jesus has just been saying to them a couple chapters earlier. He's telling them, I'm leaving you. I'm going away. And their hearts are troubled. He's told them that some of them will deny him and betray him. And if they've been listening and remember, he's actually told them very clearly he's going to die. And they're troubled. Jesus wants to comfort his friends, but not with pithy condolences. He wants to comfort them with weighty truth. He wants to comfort them with truth that's going to anchor them for the days and weeks and years to come. And so he promises them something profound. He promises his presence. He wants his friends, his disciples to know That there is one relationship that will bring them everything that they need. And it's their relationship with the one and only God. And So as we come to this end of John chapter 14, Jesus has been talking with his friends over a meal. And at this point, he's kind of defining what the relationship looks like between God's people and God. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of being in a define the relationship conversation right, where you sit down with someone and they're like, hey, we need to talk about what's really going on in our relationship. Those could be painful conversations, okay? But for Jesus and his friends, he wants to define the relationship between God and his people in a way to bring them comfort. And so he says here in verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says this, I think, four times in this little section. He repeats this again and again. If you love me, you will obey my commandments in verse 15. In verse 21, again, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In verse 23, again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again in 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Jesus is defining what what does a relationship look like between God and his people. He has spent a lot of time talking about how much the Lord loves his people, how committed he is, and he will continue to do that. But now for the first time in, in this gospel, we are introduced to this idea of the disciples loving Jesus, loving God. It's actually an important aspect in the relationship between God and his people. God's people actually loving him as well. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments." I read that, and I wonder if you read that, and immediately think, I know an abundance of people who say that they're Christians, but don't follow the commands of Jesus. That person, according to the Bible, there is no Christian that fits that category. According to the scriptures, that person is not a follower of Jesus. If they do not follow him, they don't love him, and if they don't love him, they don't belong to him. Jesus says very clearly and plainly multiple times in just a couple verses, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Yet there are so many that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but their life is about their glory and not Jesus's. Or they say, yes, I'm a Christian, but they don't love their neighbor and they don't give generously and they're greedy and prideful. There's those that say, yes, I'm a Christian, but don't submit to what the Bible says on sex sexuality, gender, money, favoritism, gossip, marriage, singleness, forgiveness. There are many that say, I'm a Christian. And not only do they not obey Jesus' commands, they don't even know His commands because they won't read the Bible. In fact, in 2021, a survey said that 42% of American Christians you already know where I'm going with this. I don't have to tell you what this stat is. You know I'm, You know where I'm going because you know this. In 2021, 42% of American Christians said they attend a church once a year or less. That or less, by the way, it means zero. If you're less than 1, it's zero. 42% of American Christians said, "I go to church once a year or not at all." I'm a Christian but there's no way I'm going to gather with the Lord's people. There's no way I'm going to gather to worship and and partake in the things that He's commanded me to do. Biblically, that's not a Christian. Love and obedience cannot be separated. That's what Jesus is saying. Love and obedience cannot be separated. If you come to the Scriptures, if you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I love you, but I don't obey you. You're lying. You are not loving him. Very simply, you could look at a parent child relationship. I mean, I could look at my children, and they could could tell me all day, every day, Dad, I love you so much. But if all they do with their entire life is oppose everything I am and hate everything about who I am and what I stand for and what I tell them to do, my conclusion will be no, they don't. They might think they do, but they're lying. They're lying to themselves. They're lying to me. And it's the same here. Love and obedience cannot be separated. If you say, Jesus, I love you, but I hate your commands. They're stupid. I think they're horrible. My my idea of what's right and wrong is way better than yours. You don't love him. At the same time, if you come to Jesus just with obedience, yet without love for him, that's slavery. That's not relationship or sonship. It's robotic. And it's not what Jesus is after. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So when we read these words, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, are we actually following Jesus's commands? It's so obvious, it hits us in the face, we could just move forward, but let's ask ourselves for a second, do we actually follow the commands of Jesus? Or in addition, do we actually have affection for Christ? Or is it, is it all duty for you? Is there actual love and affection towards Christ? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says this multiple times throughout this section and then gives a bunch of promises about how he responds to those that love him and obey him. And if we stop here, we might be in kind of a dangerous spot. Because if we stop right here, it seems to be saying that access into relationship with God, access into these incredible promises that Jesus gives The access is love Him and obey Him. And if that's true, we're doomed. If everything hinges on our devotion and our affection and our obedience and our love for Christ, we are doomed. We will will be like the person aiming to scale the face of a rock with nothing but their hands and feet. We are doomed. At some point, we aren't strong enough to do that. I know you're all thinking, there's this one guy that did that and there was a documentary about him. Great. Are you that one guy? No. If, if, if access into these promises of Jesus... Access into relationship with Him hinges on our devotion, our affection, our obedience. We're absolutely doomed because we cannot bear that burden. We cannot. So if we stop here and close our Bibles and walk out of here and just say, All right, guys, if you love Him, you'll obey Him. And we just drill that into each other. We just become people that are obsessed with duty. Jesus doesn't stop there, it's not quite what He's saying. In fact, in this very own passage, if we look closely, there's something that happens first. Jesus actually goes first. Look me at me in verse 30 and 31. As he's closing this little section, he says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. So I'm, a, I'm about to go to the cross. We're not going to be talking all that much longer. Things are about to get really bad. I'm going to die, all this, because the ruler of this world is coming. But he doesn't have a claim on me. That's not why this stuff's happening. The reason why all of this is happening is this, verse 31. I'm doing as the Father has commanded me. I am obeying the Father. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus just said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now he's saying, I'm obeying my Father's commandments because I love him and I want you to see that I love him. Jesus first loved the Father, with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength, and He obeyed His Father in everything. He lived perfectly. He had perfect affections. Perfect devotion, perfect desires, perfect thoughts. He never once valued anything more than His Father. He never once looked to man for acceptance and approval and validation and identity. At all times, he has always perfectly loved and obeyed his Father. And he would do it to the very end, all the way to the cross. And his love and his obedience is what purchases our salvation. It's what the book of Philippians says. Philippians chapter 2 says this, it, look at the terms in which it describes the cross. Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus going to the cross was obedience to the Father. Why? Because he loved him. So when we come to read this command that if you love me, you will obey my commandments, we must also keep in mind that Jesus went first. He said, I know you can't keep God's commandments because I know you don't love Him. So I will go ahead of you. I will go first. I will go before you. And I will obey Him perfectly in everything. And my obedience will take me to the cross, which will purchase your salvation, will rescue you from your sins. The catalyst, the instigator, the igniter is Christ. Jesus goes first. How else could he command us to love him? Have you ever tried to do that? Maybe when you were in like middle school and you really wanted that person to like you and you just like, you you wish you could command them to love you, right? Nobody else did that, just me? Cool. Thanks, guys. No, it's silly to to demand and, and, and command someone to love you, right? Because we know that a command can't change somebody's heart. A command cannot produce desire, I remember the, the feeling when uh, I, be, I became a dad and, and, I, and, and having this, this baby that I could do nothing for. It was like, I, I remember this, this feeling as, as a dad when, when my child was born. It happened with all three of my kids. They're a baby and I feel like I'm just kind of here to, I don't know, breathe and <laughs> change diapers. But I can really do nothing to care, like this baby doesn't care about me. This baby likes its mom more than anyone else, okay? Mom has this great connection with all my kids. I got to figure out as a dad, how do I connect with my six-week-old? What do I do? I I, I can't just stand there and say, love me, baby. That does nothing. That baby doesn't like instinctually trust me the way it trusts mom. What I needed to do with with my kids as they were young, I needed to woo them to love me. And the way that I did that was by loving them. The more that I loved my newborn child and showed them affection and showed them care and showed them love, the more what? The more they trusted me. The more when they looked at me, they saw someone they knew and loved and knew it would protect them and care for them. They needed to be wooed to trust me. It's why Usually, when a stranger walks up to a baby, the baby cries because you're not trusted, you're not known. You have not shown your love and affection to the baby, therefore they don't trust you. And this is a, like babies. They ain't like thinking this through. It's just like instinctual. We would not love Christ were it not for Him first wooing us by loving us. It is why There there is no command in the scriptures that produce the desire to obey it. It actually has never been the point. The point has been to to, to show us that we, we can't measure up to the standards that God has. To show us His character, it's different than ours, it's holy, it's perfect. We need help, we need rescue, we need salvation. And here we have Jesus who comes to earth with the entire purpose of showing us how much He loves the Father, and how much the Father loves us in sending His Son to die for us so that we would be wooed to see the love of Christ for us. And that love changes us. It changes our hearts. It changes our affections. It's what the book of Romans would say in Romans chapter 5. It says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. Sometimes someone will give their life up for someone that's good. Remember, just earlier, Peter was saying, Jesus, I'll die for you. Romans is saying, sometimes people will do that. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, enemies, haters of God, opponents, while we were in that place, Christ died for us. And what was God doing in that? He was showing us his love for us. He was wooing us. He was actually changing us with the way that he loves us. Jesus goes first. And so those that the Father calls, when they see the love and obedience of Jesus, they are changed. And so if you're here this morning and you hear this call, And if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And you feel like your affection for Jesus is just barely flickering. The invitation for you is to look to the cross. That's the invitation. The temptation is for us to say, God, I just don't really believe you love me anymore. Show me. Give me a sign. Reveal it to me. Answer this prayer. Show me in some situation that you love me. And not one of those things will ever measure up to the affection that we see at the cross. The love displayed on the cross that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you feel like your affections for Jesus are just barely still hanging on, look to the cross. Where you see that Jesus went in your place for your sins. For your sins. He, he had to die for your sins. We, we lose the sting of what that is. For your sins, you and I deserve death. And Jesus says, I'll go. The very sins that you're ashamed of, the very sins you want no one in this room to know about, Jesus says, not only do I know about them, but I, I will own them. I will take them on myself. He went in our place. His obedience, not ours. His devotion, not ours. His sacrifice, and not ours. He purchased salvation for us. That's how good God is. And not only did He do that, but what's crazy in the midst of all of this is that God choosing to save you actually brings Him glory. Like, think about that for a second. It actually pleases, brings delight to the eternal God to personally save you. Your background, your story, all your mess, all of your filth, all of that. It actually brings him delight to die to save you. It actually brings him glory. Like if he was making a resume of like the things he's proud that he's done to show to the world, it would be I saved Aaron. I personally died to rescue Terrell. We could keep going, right? But like it brings, it, like, I, that's astonishing. This is how good God is. And so there's this intentional order because God knows how fickle we are. He knows how forgetful we are. There's this intentional order that the scripture lays out that God chooses his own, And then he sends Jesus to love and obey and save. Then we see the love of God in Christ and are changed in a moment to now love God. And now because we love Him, what do we do? Now we obey Him. Because we love Him. Now we follow Him. Now we trust Him. And all of this that Jesus is saying to His disciples, to His friends, it's not meant to cause them doubt of like, oh, I struggle Do I actually love him? No, he's he's not trying to stir doubt in them. He's actually trying to do the opposite. He's trying to stir confidence in them. He's saying that your love and your trust are going to matter a lot in how the next few days are going to go for you. So keep loving. Keep trusting me. Keep obeying me. And as you do, you're going to receive something incredible my presence, my presence. And Jesus rifles through so many beautiful privileges and blessings of being a disciple. Look at some of these with me. Verse 16, I will ask the Father. means Jesus will pray for you. And guess what? When Jesus prays, the Father listens and He answers. And He says, I will ask the Father on your behalf, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. One of the blessings of being a disciple, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father, and He will send you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Up until this point in human history, the Holy Spirit has been active, He's been moving, He's been filling people, He's been stirring, He's been working in power, but He's never been dwelling with man at all times, he's never been in, in filling and indwelling followers forever. It's always been circumstantial or for a season or for a task or for a moment or for a certain position. Jesus is making a new promise. He's saying, I am going to send, well, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell with you and in you, not for a season, not for a task. Not up until you do XYZ. Forever. Forever. And this presence of God will be a helper to you. Are you kidding me? I don't deserve that. The Holy Spirit fulfills the role of helper. He says that He will teach you, verse 26, He will teach you all things and He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We're going to talk explicitly about the Holy Spirit in just a couple weeks as we get to chapter 16. But Jesus gives this promise. The Holy Spirit will be with you forever. And He continues. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is saying something significant about the Holy Spirit when he says, I will come to you. The Holy Spirit's presence is not divorced from Jesus's presence. Just because Jesus is departing doesn't mean Jesus's presence is leaving. He's saying something profound about the relationship between Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That for the Holy Spirit to be present is the same as Jesus saying, I will come to you. There's there's trinity all over this passage, that God is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm leaving, and the Father is going to send the Spirit to you, and I will come to you, because Jesus and the Spirit are one. They're united. They are not separated. He's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you differently than right now. I will not be physically with you. I'm leaving. I'm leaving to go back to be with the Father. But I will send my Spirit. Well, He will send the Holy Spirit. And I will come to you. He says, I I know you need my presence because you're like orphans without me. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Remember, just earlier he was calling them little children. You're God's children, and I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 19, he keeps going with more promises. He says, because I live, you also will live. Because I will raise to life, you too will have resurrection life. You too will have new life. Or in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. My father will love you. This is something that only belongs to Jesus. Only Jesus has a claim on the love of God. Only Jesus is the one who can confidently stand there and say, I have always had the love of the Father for me at all times. I deserve it. It's mine. It belongs to me. Much of humanity believes that they deserve the love of God. Based off how they live their life, they think they're good enough. Or they think I'm certainly better than some, therefore I earn something from God. He must be like this to me. The Bible says that's not true. (laughs) Only Jesus deserves the love of God. Only Jesus has a claim on that. But he says, those that are mine, those whom I've loved and have been rescued and now love me, the Father loves them. Which means God's people two can now confidently stand and say, the Father loves me. Because we've been adopted. We are now sons of God, co-heirs with Christ. All that is His is ours. I can't wait to see what that means when we get to heaven. Everything that's Jesus's is ours because we are co-heirs with Him. He shares it with us. His inheritance, all that belongs to him. He says, it's yours too because you're now adopted as sons into God's family. It's what the book of Galatians says in chapter four. To redeem, this is what what Jesus did. He came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you are His, the Father will love you. And everything He gives to His Son Jesus, He also will ultimately give to all of His sons and daughters. This is insane. It's beautiful. This is the heart of God for his people. There is this, you you can even remember as we've been through the book of John for, for a while now, we've seen there is this intimacy between the father and the son that Jesus has talked about. There's so much intimacy in that relationship. And Jesus is saying, for those that are mine, you're invited into that same intimacy with God. It's not about duty. It's not about slavery. It's not about law. It's about sonship. keeps going more and more in verse 20 he says on that day and he's talking about the resurrection you will know that i am in my father and you in me and i in you okay so jesus just said that that, that in some way one of the beauties of the gospel of, of being a follower of jesus is we get invited into this trinitarian relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, that that they have been united as one God forever in pure delight, in pure harmony, in peace, in love. Everything is perfect. They need nothing. And somehow through the gospel, we get invited into that space to where Jesus says on the day, on the resurrection day, you will see this. You will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you doesn't mean you become the fourth member of the Godhead. That's not, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying you are invited so closely into this relationship. You belong. And maybe the most profound statement of all, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. And we will come to him. And we will make our home with him. Since the beginning of human history, God has not dwelled this closely with his people. In fact, you read the Old Testament, there's almost entire books devoted to outlining how God's people are to create a proper dwelling place for God's presence. With specific rituals, specific sacrifices, very clear instructions, And his presence wasn't even entirely accessible to everyone. There was presence, but it was separated. And now, Jesus is saying that whoever's mine, we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Which I think says a few things about you if you're a Christian this morning. One, it says this. God likes you. He likes you. I don't know about you, but you don't make a home with just anybody. I don't care if you're single looking for roommates or you are um, dating someone and thinking about whether you want to marry them. Deciding who you make your home with is not a hasty decision. Deciding who you make your home with is a very intimate, important decision because it's where you share your most intimate moments is in your home. And Jesus says, if you belong to me, we will come and make our home with you. It means he likes you, like he wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to sit and eat dinner together. He wants to to lounge on the couch and binge that show with you. He wants to to know everything about you, to bear your burdens, to walk with you, to care for you. I think it also means this. It means he's... He's made you a worthy dwelling place for His presence. The reason why there were such specific requirements for where God would dwell in the Old Testament is because He is a holy God and He's teaching His people that in order for my presence to dwell with humanity, something has to be done about their sin. And He's been teaching His people this. And so for God to say, I am going to come and make my home with you, it means... He has made you a worthy dwelling place, not by your obedience, not by your cleaning yourself up, not by you serving in community service, not by you being nice and kind and so tolerant of others. No, the way that he makes you a worthy dwelling place is through his son going to the cross for you and cleansing you of all of your sin and unrighteousness and justifying you, which means he gifts you his righteousness and says you're forgiven. My presence is pleased to dwell here. It means he's made you a worthy dwelling place. I think it also means this. It means you belong to him. We will come and make our home with him. When God comes to somebody and he makes his home with them, he's not renting. He doesn't need to put down a security deposit, sign some papers and a lease agreement to say, like, here's how long I'll be here. Here are the terms of the contract as long as you do X, Y, and Z and keep this home up and make sure you do some renovations in this area and a new color of paint over here and the carpet needs to be changed here. And if anything ever changes, I'm out. I'm going to look for a new place. Mm -mm. No, when God moves in somewhere, he takes ownership He takes ownership of the house. It belongs to him. It's not not yours anymore. This is what the scriptures say, that your body's not your own. You were bought with a price. Your home has been purchased. Jesus dwells in you now, and it belongs to him. He has dominion. He has authority. He has rule. He's the best homeowner ever. He's patient with his remodels, He's gentle. He's generous. But we now belong to him; we're his, and we don't have to worry that he's he's living here, but he's kind of looking for better better dwelling places elsewhere. No, he likes this one. Loves to be with you. I think it also means this: is that he will care for you till the end. He will care for you till the end. So what's amazing about this, Jesus has just said that he's leaving to go and prepare a dwelling place for you in heaven. He says, I'm leaving and I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. In my Father's house, there's many, many rooms and I'm preparing them for you. And so in the meantime of while he's preparing, he also seemingly with the Father and with the Spirit is somehow also coming to us and saying, you will be my dwelling place while I also prepare a dwelling place for you. This is amazing and he says my peace I'll give to you in verse 27 not as the world gives but I give you my peace peace with God and because you have peace with God you have peace in every circumstance and so this is what Jesus says to comfort his friends as he knows they're about to have their entire world turned completely upside down He says, don't be troubled. Yes, I'm leaving you, but I'm coming to you. My Father is sending the Spirit, and we will make our home with you forever. Because Jesus is the one who has every possible resource available to him. He has everything. He is the God who has literally everything that exists. He made it out of nothing with no previous resources materials. He just made everything just without anything. He, he is the, 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 the Jesus that has the greatest of all treasures at His disposal. He has every good gift imaginable at the ready. Every possible blessing, He could rain it down at any moment beyond measure. This Jesus offers us Himself. Not because he's already exhausted every other resource and nothing's quite worked yet. But because he is the greatest of all that he has to offer. He is the greatest of all that he has to offer. So what's different with Jesus is he offers us the best and the greatest gift first and at all times. And it's not riches, or prosperity, or health, or comfort, or pleasure, or safety, or happiness, or acceptance. It's Himself. It's His presence. And that's why if God chooses to withhold some things, even good things, from His people, it's usually because He's actually already offering the best thing. So that's what Jesus offers us this morning. He offers us himself. He offers us his presence no matter what we're walking through. I want to just invite you as we close, just close your eyes. Not because it makes you more spiritual, not because it means God talks to you more or is more likely to hear your prayers if you close your eyes, but simply because it's a way for us to not be distracted and sometimes just be able to reflect on what's actually happening in our hearts right now. I want you to just think on what you're walking through right now. What's your season? What's your situation? Are you afraid? He's with you. Are you lonely? He's with you. Do you feel out of control? He's with you. Anxious? He's with you. Are you in pain? He's with you. Are you depressed this morning? He's with you. Are you tired? He's with you. Are you confused? He's with you. Are you guilty? He's with you feel abandoned He's with you embarrassed He's with you You feel inadequate He's with you Do you feel weak He's with you No matter what you're walking through Jesus offers himself and he says, I am with you. I am giving you the best of all that I have to give you. The question for us is, do we believe that it is better for us to have Christ than it is to have one of his riches? team on up. Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, you know exactly what we are all walking through this morning, what we've carried into this place. You know what it is we've been looking to for hope or the answer. Or the thing that's just going to make us feel better, or the, the thing that if we could just get it, all of this would go away, all of it would be better. You, you know, all those things we've been hoping for. And the answer to all of those longings is you, your presence with us. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for thinking that your presence is some kind of secondary subpar I guess if I could have nothing else I'll take it gift Lord as your people would you help us believe that that is the best that at the end of the day if we get nothing but we get you our hands are full Jesus, we need your help believing that. We ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come right alongside of us and be who you've told told us that he is, that he would be our helper right now. That he would help us believe. Lord, we need you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, that you are faithful to be with us and never leave us. And we thank you that even though you've already come to us, you've already sent your spirit, you also still say to us today, I won't leave you as orphans, I'm coming to you. You are still coming again, Lord. The nearness." that we know of your presence right now is is but just a taste of the nearness we will have with you when you come again. When we get to be with you forever and all of eternity. Lord, we long for that day. That on that day we would know that you are in the Father and we are in you and you are in us. Jesus, would you come? Come quickly. We want to be with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.